Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. This evening, for your quintessential listening poetry pleasure, I am very pleased to welcome noted poet Kim Ports Parsons to the podcast. Kim's work has appeared in many journals and anthologies. Recently, Terrapin Press published her first collection, The May Apple Forest. Having read the book, I found it to be quite exquisite. The poems are lyrical and thoughtful. The imagery is gorgeous, and it's moving as well as calming. To me, it felt as if the book had been written by an old soul, and that touched me. So I'd like to welcome you, Kim, to the program. Hello. Thank you so much, Michael. I'm so thrilled for the opportunity to talk with you on your fantastic program. I'm such a fan and um, just so amazed by what you've given to poets and poetry through this program. Thank you. Well, as I shared with Kim, Kim is my 300 guest tonight. Wow. (laughs) That makes the program that much more special. Let's begin this journey, Kim. Are you ready? Are you ready? I am ready, yes. Always ready for poetry. Yes. Tell me about the May Alpha Force in terms of what inspired you. Well, Michael, um, I have so much gratitude for Terrapin Books and Diane Lockwood, the publisher, for believing in the book and, and helping it to come into the world. Um, it was a long time coming. I began my studies as a student of poetry, you know, in my 20s, actually even earlier than that in high school. And I thought that I was going to pursue a career as a professor of poetry and writing and literature and be publishing throughout my life. And Life kind of led me other places, and I turned to writing more uh, for myself, privately, for family, for friends, for loved ones, and kind of left the creative writing publishing scene for the middle period of my life. And now here I am. I've come back to it. I'm retired from teaching and, and working in education, and... I'm in a I'm so so grateful that I'm in a place in my life where I can give lots of time to writing poetry, being in poetic community with folks like yourself and through organizations like Cultivating Voices Live Poetry and yes. about a year or just not a little bit less than a year ago, I was ready to send my manuscript out, and I was very, very pleased and gratified and 
just amazed that mm-hmm. it was scooped up and now out in the world. So wow. that that's that's a really gratifying thing. And um yeah, so it's it's my first book. Uh mm-hmm. but I hope not my last. I'm, you know, already working on new new stuff. Um the mm-hmm. book the book is really um about many things. Everything is interwoven with my love of nature and my inspiration from the natural world. The way that it fills my senses and stirs my imagination, you know, is evident pretty much in most of the poems. But I explore themes of grief, love, um, you know, what is the meaning of life? How do we, how do, how can we be, um, you know, how can we make sense of the hurts in life and heal from them and forgive and carry on? Um, yeah. So, I the book in a way I want it to feel I I want it to feel like someone is taking a journey into a a rich, deep, beautiful place wow. when they Very read nice. it. And I think the really? title the title refers to an actual, real, you know, natural forest, but I think that it also is a metaphor for me of, you know, getting lost in the natural world and in the beauty of language and um, mm-hmm. in your imagination. So the mayapple forest is real. Oh yes, uh, mayapples are are just a gorgeous plant that are native to um, the eastern United States, and, the, and you find them in the woods. They mm-hmm. grow um, in colonies close to the ground. Um, they grow from one root and spread from one root. And they grow very low to the ground, maybe as high as most people's angles or shins. Mm-hmm. They appear from the forest floor in the spring and uh, open up their leaves. And by May, they have a beautiful white bloom on the female plants. Um, and that's, that image of the flowering plant is depicted on the cover of the book. And um, and by the midsummer, there are individual fruits where there were blossoms that come to ripeness. And the really amazing thing about this plant is that the entire plant, from roots to the tips of the leaves, is poisonous, except for the juice of the absolutely perfectly ripe fruit. And there's something about the image of that that... Um, fascinates me you know the sweetness and the danger go hand in hand in life you know what i mean <laughs> yes so true you know, and all and also that idea of you know pain and joy grief and love you know these things go hand in hand in our lives and so the plant becomes i think um a metaphor for that also in a couple of the poems mm-hmm. yeah so it's a How- real place I mean, it's a, I well, can actually walk in the woods and see them. 
in the spring. Really? So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, next time you're in the woods, take a picture and send it to me. All right? Yes, I will. I've never heard of that. I before. will. Now, in well, terms of the structure of the book, how is it structured content-wise? Chapters? Um, the, the, the editor wanted to kind of braid together throughout the book, and I think it's an interesting way to do it, the okay. different themes. So it's not like all the poems... Uh, about love or in one section. It's not like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like there are many threads in the book and they're woven throughout the whole book. Um, I hope that by the end of the book, there's a sense of having come to um, some deeper wisdom about life and one's place in the world and to an acceptance of the pain we go through mm-hmm. and a choice to continue to love in spite of it all, you know, and to move forward. So I think, you know, if, if I hoped someone were to get an overarching theme, I think that would be pretty close to it. You know, the reason I asked that question is that when I read the book, I, it was so seamless that I didn't think about chapters or the structure. <laughs> so I'm asking now because <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't think about it. Uh, that's great. I mean, I, I hope that it has an easy flow and that yes, it, it moves – up and down and in and out of emotions and life experiences and that they're mm-hmm. all connected. I mean, that's what our lives are, right? You know, one day you're yes. up and one day you're down mm-hmm. and one so day true. you're flooded with memories and one day you're filled with plans for the future, you know? I mean, that's life. Mm-hmm. So I hope that it has that kind of a flow to it, and I'm glad to hear it did for you. Yes, it did. So what do you think you learned about yourself writing this book? Who are you oh. as a consequence of writing this book? Gosh, you know, so much of writing is learning. Mm-hmm. So much of writing is learning. I think the best writing is the writing that teaches you the most, you know. You you start off thinking you know what you're going to write about, but I think if it's a really good poem, mm-hmm. it leads you to ahas and discoveries, you know, and depths or heights or questions or answers you didn't know were inside of you. And so that was just cemented for me as I worked on individual poems and then looked for ways that the poems connected and thought about how they related to each other. That whole idea that writing is discovery and learning, you know, a Mm -hmm. learning process when it's really working that was just cemented for me through the experience. The other thing I learned about myself was, you know, I absolutely want to write poetry, (laughs) even if it never ends up in a magazine or a journal or an anthology or a collection. I want to work on poetry. I want to share poetry with others, listen to their poetry. I want to be immersed in it. And it just made me want to do it even more. 
you know. So it oh. it's like what a joy to get to follow your passion, you know. Yes, very much it's so. Just you know, yeah, such a joy. Well, let's say that we're outside Barnes and Noble, and there's a thousand people in line waiting to buy your book, and I hope they. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> buy the book, everybody. Uh, <laughs> if you had to advise readers prior to reading the book, what would you tell them? How would you advise them? What should they look do for? You mean, uh, do you mean in the sense of, like, what to bring to the book themselves? No. What, Is that what you what mean? Do you, no, actually, no. What do you – what would you say – to them that they will receive as a, as oh. a consequence of reading the book. Why should they read it? That's a better you question. You know, I, I, really, I, really, I really feel that poetry is sacred. Okay. I feel that it is an exploration of the sacred. And I say that because I feel that life is sacred. And so I feel like any time you allow yourself to slow down and focus the way a poem uh, can do, mm-hmm. it's like a kind of prayer. And I actually, um, I'm not meaning attached to any particular religious tradition. I mean in yes. the broadest sense of the word, it, poetry is a chance to um, go deeper, to reflect, to open your heart, um, to connect one one human to another um, with your own self, you know, with with humanity in general. And that to me is sort of a sacred activity. And so I would hope that anyone who picked up the book would feel invited into a quiet space of um, reflection and and open heartedness, and and you know, hopefully would enjoy the journey and be That's moved by nice. the journey <laughs> and moved well, to reflect on their own life, you know, to open up yes. their own heart in their own life. So important, you know. I'm nervous right now. Because I'm so ready to hear your voice. Oh. And, uh, my anxiety is growing because I'm waiting with bated breath oh. <laughs> to hear. Would you like to hear voice. some poems? Yes. <laughs> Please do. Well, you know, I, I wasn't originally going to open with this poem, but since we talked about since we talked about the Mayapple plants, I think I will begin with a little poem comes later in the book, but it's a kind of a welcome into this space in a way based on what we, you and I have just talked about. It's called Forest Salutation. And this poem is kind of pretending to be like a set of directions for, for a yoga exercise, you know, a kind of... Um, I don't know if you are familiar with, but in yoga, there is a series of moves called sun salutation, and it's meant to kind of awaken your energy and 
spread it around your body. And I thought about that idea and the way I feel when I walk in the woods by myself and it's quiet and I can hear the birds and I can hear the leaves rustling under my feet and the stream gurgling in the background and it feels like such a sacred space to me. And so this poem invites the listener to be in that space in a mindful way. Forest salutation. Plant yourself ankle deep in a vernal pool of May apples. Arch your neck back and stretch. Sight line to the greening tips of poplars, reaching, reaching, kneel, lift waxy veils to reveal singular blossoms. Adjust your vision to the flowers. Breathe in their glowing light. Repeat. That's forest salutation. I have quite a lot of poems that focus on memory and go back into memory because my heart is drawn to remember or because I'm trying to puzzle something out or um, a memory just keeps coming back and sort of knocking at you know my consciousness again and again, sticking in my mind. This poem um, I'll read next is uh, about, an, you know, it's about as an adult looking back and recalling a moment of just the kind of unadulterated joy you could sometimes experience as a child and which is much harder as we get older and life gets more complicated. And so the adult is looking back and thinking about the joy of an experience. And it's called Cool Glass of Water. This poem, before I begin, I'll say, this poem takes place in the kitchen of my childhood. I have quite a few poems that take place there. Um, kitchens seem to be centers of gravity for me, my mother, my sisters, my family, for many families. I'm not the first person to write about that, but I'll read a couple of poems probably with you tonight um, that take place in the kitchen. Cool glass of water. A blizzard of fuchsia speckles all down my shirt and mama's apron. Rivulets of sweat down the left side of her face and my legs stuck to the cracked vinyl seat, the kitchen getting hotter by the minute. 
but we're grinning like damned fools over eight pint jars of wineberry jam made from the berries we picked together while ticks and poison ivy inched up our trousers and we sang she's coming round the mountain and who knows what all at the top of our lungs hoping to scare away the snakes i am ten and i am spading up the last gobs from the kettle with the wooden spoon and i am in love with her and if i could i would drink that memory like a cool glass of water every day of my life that was cool glass of water about my dear mama the um the book is dedicated to my mother weda jeanette ports she died a few years ago and had a long and very full life. She was a hero to me. She was a best friend to me. She was a fantastic, generous, loving person. And um, she features in a lot of the poems in the book. Uh, the book opens with a poem of about me... Um, kind of, I don't know any other way to say it, the day-to-day facing of the grief when you lose someone you love, someone you're very close with. And, you know, she she believed you get up every day and you get on with it. And she taught us that kind of, you know, she was a role model for that. And so this poem is about that, too. It's called This Kind of Rainfall. This Kind of Rainfall. Rain after rain. Sun after rain. The mountain throws its scarf of mist across the valley. Rivulets form, disperse, reform, disperse again. Bittersweet quietly takes over the hedgerow. You there? You there? A Bob White gently repeats his question. They say this kind of rainfall day after day, inch after inch, comes once in a hundred years. On the garden fence, cucumbers demonstrate the declarative, gold trumpets blaring. Determination, my mother taught me. The way rock is sanded down by water The hose handle worn smooth. Keep going. Hat, boots, and gloves wait by the door. Clouds line up at the exit. I'm here. I'm here. The constant 
silent ticking of her absence. And that poem was called This Kind of Rainfall, and I I should say that it references the song of the Bob White, which is, let me see if I can whistle it. It's a two-note song that is very distinctive. Bob White, Bob White. And uh, it's something that I hear sometimes when I'm out working in my garden, and it really made me feel like it was, you know, kind of talking to me one day, and it sort of inspired that poem. So that's a few to get us started, Michael. All right. Thank you. Uh, would you share with me the titles of those poems again? Yes, poems I read, read for you. I read for you Forest Salutation, mm-hmm. Cool Glass of Water, mm-hmm. um, what else did I read for you? Um, this Kind of Rainfall. Mm-hmm. And I think that's as far as I got. All right. In terms of titling those poems, was that a difficult process? Oh, titling titling is so much fun. Titling is so much fun. Titling (laughs) is almost like a little, you know, a title of a poem for me is almost like a little poem. You know, like there's something sort of magical when it, when it clicks, it's just the greatest feeling, you know, it, it, it's, I play around with titles a good bit and they don't always come to me right away. Um, I work at them and I really enjoy that process because I feel like, you know how I talked earlier about writing is a learning for me, you know, yes. and I feel like sometimes Sometimes the title is a is a linchpin um, in this kind of rainfall. You know, I mean, the obvious parallel is you know we cry when we're grieving, right? You know, mm-hmm. and the, the the year my mother passed away, she passed away in March. That year we had more than double our annual rainfall, literally, and. It, you know, you can't help but look at it day after day after day and think about it, right? You know, what's it like, you know, when, when it's just raining and raining? And, you know, there's so many songs and poems and literature which use that theme. I mean, it's it's as old as humans, right? Looking out at the rain and feeling that connection to to sadness or grieving or the flow of life or whatever. So, you know, titles are really fun. They're... they're um, another way to try to learn what the poem is telling you, I think. Yes, very much so. Fun question here. Do you feel that a poem tells you what it wants to be? (laughs) You know, I really think it does. And you have to be – sometimes – Sometimes it's ready to just spit it out at you, like immediately. That's rare and exciting and wonderful, right? When, you know, maybe it's been kind of brewing inside of you and it just all comes out and there's not that much to to work on. But but there are poems that, you know, I work on for years. 
mm-hmm. years. The title mm-hmm. poem of this book I worked on for years because it was a really difficult and painful topic for me. And and some of these poems, um, you know, I started many years ago and tucked them away. And, you know, I had kind of left my public poet life behind. And yes. and And in the last five years or so, I've been taking my work out and looking at it and typing it up and seeing if it had anything else to say or if it wanted to, you know, if it wanted to, you know, if if it, if I wanted to go further with it. And um, it's almost like there's some sort of unconscious process, I think, uh, in some poems where you just have to give yourself the time to, discover what it is you want to say. You know, as I was listening, the one poem that really gave me chills, and it gave me chills before, cool glass of water. Hmm. I know well, you've it, written about your own mama's importance <laughs> yes. to you and your own grieving. Yes, that's true. Can what you, can you of think of a more powerful space than being in your mama's kitchen when you're a child and helping her to make something delicious and she mm-hmm. lets you lick the spoon and she's singing songs with you? I mean, my goodness. And the joy and love you feel as a child, you know. And so how we wish do. we could live that every day in our lives now. Very much so. So if you had to, I don't know, tie that up in a bow, in a bow what is the purpose of that particular poem? Well, I think um, someone much wiser than me, because I remember learning this, you know, back in my master's degree program at the University of Maryland, and I can't even remember now the famous quote or who said it, but it, it, it maybe it was Auden. Like, poems, poems are about one thing, all poems, and that's love. Mm-hmm. And when you really start to pick that apart, you think, but wait a minute, wait a minute, this poem is about, you know, a protest poem about, you know, discrimination, or this poem is about the the grief I felt when my brother died, or this poem is about, well, all of that can be linked back to one form of love or another, right? Love is the impetus, and in this case, it's an expression of, you know, that love that I felt as a child so freely and fully and openly, and wanting as an adult to remind myself, you know, do that, feel that, you know, mm. spread that around, right? Very nice, yes. Right? Please, please continue sharing. I want to hear okay. your voice. Please continue sharing. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's stay in the kitchen, shall we? Let's go, right. Or let's go okay. back. Let's go back <laughs> to the kitchen. Right. Let's go back to the kitchen. This poem, this poem is called Fixing Thelma's Hair. My my maternal grandmother's name was Thelma. And she was a teenager in the 20s. She grew up on a farm in the panhandle of Texas, poor, 
but enough to eat, you know, 14 children working on the farm with their parents. And she took a train trip when she was 17 or 19 to visit her Aunt Minnie in Arlington, Virginia, you know, up here. They had, you know, they had folks up here. She took the train. Big wow. deal, right? Big deal in yes. 1921. Huge deal. And and so this poem is about a memory I have of many, many times standing in the kitchen in our home place. I helped her wash her hair. This is when she was elderly. Helped her wash her hair in the kitchen sink. And then I would help her fix her hair, and she'd tell me stories. So this is a poem called Fixing Selma's Hair. Her hair thin enough to show her gray-white scalp. The skin of her neck soft as a young girl's. She holds the bag of plastic curlers in her lap. I stand behind the chair and comb out the tangles from her kitchen sink shampoo. Her toes pump up and down like pistons. We're alone in a breeze ruffling the window by the fridge. I begin the first row from forehead to crown. Each curler rolled toward me and held down tight, snapped into place with green plastic. The neat lines, the damp hair pulled straight between my fingers. The rhythm and order, they comfort me. The blur of her constant talk is a radio left on for company. I interrupt to tease about all her boyfriends, how she's been stepping out to paint the town, dancing in her red dress. She giggles, then sighs. Oh, honey, I can't hardly even walk. My hip's getting so bad. Passes me another curler over her shoulder. When the last one's in place, we sit at the table and sip iced tea and try the bourbon balls she's made, little cookies like a shot of whiskey. I like the intimacy of a woman in curlers, swollen feet in old cracked mules tapping the tiles. She tells me the story, the prickly halo of her head nodding, how she dared to get a bob in the summer of 1921 on a visit to Aunt Minnie in Arlington, how she cut off all her fine, long, white blonde hair, and when she got home to Shamrock, Texas, her mother vowed never to speak to her sister again, and Granddaddy Riley went out to the shed to get drunk. Pretty soon, all six of her sisters followed suit. She's a tough one, energy springing from her like the tight curls off the rollers as I comb her out. 
before I shape the hair and spray its familiar pattern, I run my fingers through the Miss Clairol gold and feel the fragile bowl of her skull. It won't be long before she lays it down. That's fixing Thelma's hair in the kitchen. So the garden, uh, shall I continue, Michael? Yes, please. Yes. So the garden is another space, as as you've already seen, that I I spend a lot of time in in my poetry. And um, there's a poem in the book dedicated to my eldest sister, Terry. We have 11 years between us. Um, I've always looked up to her. She's always been another hero and a friend to me. And this poem is called I Watch My Sister Harvest Lavender. And in this case, we're sitting in my sister's garden on a summer day, maybe in June. And um, as I watch her cut the lavender, I'm kind of transported back in my mind to memories uh, throughout uh, my life and what she taught me and how I looked up to her. And there's kind of... um, a life lesson that emerges from from the watching and the remembering. I watch my sister harvest lavender for Terry. She sits at the edge of the porch, curved over the plants, her bare feet on the cool grass, the hot sun shining on her shoulders, the curling brown of her hair, her cheekbones finely angled as a deer's. She stops to sip her coffee, her garden spreading around her, the daylilies raising their skirts to the sky. Suddenly, I see her as if I were again six and she seventeen that kind of hero worship. I watch her through the white-hot blanket of light, a camera's flash, and all the images of the past transposed, pentimento. The lavender is thick with bees. She gathers a few stems in her left hand, snips with her right, The bees circle the blossoms, rise and fall all around her. The gray boards of the hot porch beneath me, a watery wind in the trees. She scatters the stems in her large brown basket and takes another sip of coffee. She turns to me and laughs, tells me she's lucky, I think. You taught me how to swim. You walked with me across a snow-crusted field. Your body swayed before me, shaping into a woman's. 
You cupped a wildflower in your palm and gave me its name. She turns back to her task, this morning's prayer, and her hands move through the purple-blue, the yellow-black. She explains how she leaves some, in part for the bees, in part for herself, until new buds grow and fill out with flowers once more. She leans into the light. The light leads me to her hands, and her hands teach me how to harvest, despite the danger, the necessary chance of a sting. That's I Watch My Sister Harvest Lavender for My Sister Terry. I might need a pause to take a sip of water, Michael. Yes, yes, that's fantastic. This is a perfect time to do it. Everyone, we'll be right back. We are back. Again, my name is Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with Kim Porch Parsons. Kim, did you have an opportunity to drink some water? Some cool water? I did. Uh, I had a lovely sip of water. Thank you, Michael. All right. A cool glass of water. (laughs) Here's a question for you, my friend. And I, I ask this a lot of my guests. Does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? Because you write about it, some hidden you know, things. It, is the process sometimes painful? Is that what you mean? That is, that is the question, yes. Yeah, is the process sometimes painful? Yes, the process is sometimes painful. But painful in the way that healing can sometimes be painful, you know? Um I, an analogy that comes to my mind is, you know, that feeling you get the day after you've really worked your muscles at the gym mm-hmm. and you go to do some regular movements and you think, wow, wow, that that's kind of sore in there, in my arm or in my shoulder or in my hamstring or whatever because you've just worked a muscle to its benefit, but it's letting you know that it's been worked, right? And so I think yes. I I think there are poems that that I that I write that are asking 
I'm the process is really asking me to work through pain mm-hmm. and come out the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, now you know sometimes the pain is very personal, and mm-hmm. many of the really the book the the poems in this collection, I am very comfortable with just saying they come right out of my life. These are honest expressions directly from my life experience, you know, experience. My yes. memories, my my loves, my losses, my pains, my hopes, my yeah. dreams, my imaginings. But I also um I also do and I'm working on some new poems that um they're still coming out of me, but I'm responding to in one in one series of poems I'm working on now. I'm responding to things that are happening in the world that I just cannot believe how disastrous and tragic they are, and right. I'm trying to work through my feelings about them and make a statement about them. And um, there's also a series of poems in which. I'm going back and thinking about my ancestors and the very mixed and complicated history uh, of my ancestors and how to work through the pains and truths and beauties and, you know, and every flavor in between mm-hmm. of of that heritage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so... Yeah, that that could be painful, but I think it's a good kind of pain. Okay. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, I think yes. it's cathartic. Yeah. So if I asked you, if I asked you, is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall, how would you answer that? Oh, uh, I I think, for me, a poem opens my heart, softens me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. At the same time, it strengthens me and builds mm-hmm. up my resiliency. Mm-hmm. It is definitely, you know, I, I cannot say strongly enough that the act of writing is, an, is a desire to move forward and through and carry on. Right, right. You know... Yes. Not build you up know, defenses, but to open okay. and make connections. Very nice. I agree. I agree. The very last question in this set. Um, I'd like you to tell me about a poem that you did not include in the book because you were potentially afraid of it being misinterpreted. Oh, that's Maybe an interesting question. I don't know that I... I don't know that I have one that fits that quite exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, afraid of it being misinterpreted. Hmm. I'm really thinking, and I I don't really have that fear, to okay. be honest with Very you. Nice. I just don't right. have that fear. I think that there were poems I was writing 
uh, near the end of the process of putting the manuscript. You know, they, they were coinciding with the, say, at the, the time period that I was putting the manuscript together. And I said to myself, this is not the home for this poem. You know, and it wasn't because I was fearful of how people would take it. I just felt like it belonged in a home that didn't exist yet. It, you know, my next book or, or some other project, you know. Mm-hmm. It just didn't fit. Um, but no, I don't really have that fear. You know, I think I've gotten to it. This is, hey, there's one benefit of getting older. <laughs> you care less about that stuff. You know, you just, at least for me, I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, if you don't like poetry, you don't have to read this, you know, or if you, if you don't like this subject matter, there's plenty of other poets doing amazing things with other subject matter. You know, I am just one little voice, you know. So I, I just don't really worry about that. Um, well, that's, to me, that's the honest truth. All right. To me, you're one great voice. I can't thank you enough, you know, for your support and encouragement of uh, about oh, the yes. book. I mean, it means the world to me. And your work has inspired me so much, you know, really. And the way you read your work is so inspiring. Okay, back on you now. Back on you. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Would you like to hear some more poems? Yes. Okay. Well, I think it might be fun. I'm going to read. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy that, that this is fun. But this poem, it, it pretends to be about something else. Okay. okay. This is a poem that this is one of those things uh, where I think it's kind of like you can tell what I learned as I wrote it. So this poem is called Why I Couldn't Stay in the Midwest Any Longer. And I went out, I've been, you know, I'm from Baltimore. I grew up in the mid-Atlantic, traveled up and down the East Coast, but then went to grad school in Nebraska. And I never really spent any time in the Midwest until then. And it's very different. Um, you know, Baltimore is a very friendly city. People will just start talking to you while you're waiting for the bus, okay? People will tell you their, you know, their favorite thing to cook for Thanksgiving dinner while you're waiting in the checkout line at the grocery store. I mean, people are just, they're just wide open in Baltimore. That's how I grew up. Friendly, you know, you know talking to anybody. And it's mm-hmm. not like that in the Midwest. And so this poem started off to be sort of a tongue-in-cheek poking at, like, the, the kind, quiet uh, culture of the Midwest, that I, and I couldn't stay there. Also about the weather, which is very extreme. You know, you, we, I would be walking up the street in Nebraska, and there'd be, like, this wind coming all the way from Canada, and my eyelashes would freeze, you know. <laughs> I mean, wow. and then in the summer it would be like 108 degrees and hail, you know. So, so the poem is kind of poking fun at the Midwest, but then you realize by the end it's about something else. So, why I couldn't stay in the Midwest any longer. Eight years in the 
center of the endless plains, wading through snowdrifts in October, plodding into a north wind, ice on my eyelashes, waiting and waiting and waiting for a spring that lasted one week, then fanning myself in front of a a rickety window unit in a rented flat, watching hail the size of gumballs ping off windshields, walking wide, planned streets, eastern trees placed to shade boulevards and a boulevards and American craftsmen houses, but with leaves that never quite changed color, just dropped to the sidewalk, worn out and blanched by September. I missed Baltimore, its familiar cramped corners, Little Italy, the delis, Germantown, Greek town, the muddy Patapsco, the putrid water of the harbor, the smell of McCormick's spice. So I dragged my sorry muffler across 1,200 miles, one elbow out the window, burning in the June sun, and almost stopped the car to kiss the ground when I hit familiar rolling hills, an old back road we cruised, FM radio blaring, woozy from Boone's farm and too much flirtation. Never could get used to being too far from big water. The choppy, briny bay, gulls on the cobblestones, diners and spicy seafood. And it didn't feel right. Everyone looking alike, chronically polite. No one ever suddenly chatting you up about their mom's best crab soup recipe while picking out produce at the IGA just sitcom faces. I guess that's a bit harsh. And folks were so nice. But I felt loud with strangers there, among the subdued, longed to whoop and holler and jump up to dance like hallelujah when a band kicked on at a Friday Fells Point bar. But the real reason I couldn't stay was my jigsaw puzzle heart, fallen, slipped out the side of an old wooden crate, unnoticed, side split, scattered down the curb. I figured if I went where my feet fit the contours of the ground, then maybe I could sort the pieces under the glow of the domino sugar sign down by the water, find my shape again in the eyes of friends. They'd buy me a drink and not mind my crying into it until I didn't need to anymore. That's why I couldn't stay in the Midwest any longer, <laughs> a.k.a. the heart-sick, heart-broke blues. Right. 
<laughs> you put it out there. You know, what? Everybody's had their heart broke sometime, somewhere, somehow, right? And you don't feel that that poem could have been misinterpreted. Okay. Okay. Well, no, I don't. You know, it's really funny. I I think um, when you get to the end, you realize, you know, the this that me, the speaker is saying, oh, oh, that's a lot of hoo ha. I was just heartbroken. Um, you know, we can, you can poke it. fun of. You can poke fun at any place. true. You can poke fun at any place. So, in contrast to that, as I've been very, very fortunate. Later in my life, I I found my husband. He found me and I found him. He's my best friend. He's my life's companion. He's a wonderful, kind, and good guy with a generous heart. And um, one of the things I've learned in our marriage is that love becomes a kind of steady presence in your life it's such a gift to just be a steady constant in your life um and to not be on you know heartbroken and to not be on a roller coaster ride to to just you know have that steady presence and there's a there's a saying you know that real true love isn't about staring into each other's eyes it's about both looking in the same direction. Wow. And uh, this mm-hmm. is a poem about that. It's a poem about actually sort of some of the technical aspects of rainbows. You know, we think of rainbows as these like sort of cartoon things, you know, that little yes. children draw or, you know, that are like, you know, on cartoons. But really they're actual phenomena, you know, that, that are caused by by water and light and refraction and all these things and and so this poem kind of uh, we live in a valley uh alongside Shenandoah National Park and we have spectacular sky because the weather moves over the valley in various ways and one of the ways is it's not uncommon for summer storms to come over the mountain pass over and the sun comes behind it and we have spectacular rainbows. And this poem kind of rose out of that experience and took me a long time to to write. I, um, so anyway, I'll shut up and read the poem. If our eyes were able, we would find the sky. And it begins with a quote from Epicurus of Samos, who was one of the earliest studiers of rainbows. From the reflection of this light, the air all around will be colored as we see it to be, as the sun shines upon its parts. Even though we both stand on the porch and trace the double curve over the valley, we don't see the same rainbows. Waves of light pass through drops of water and break open along a single line of sight. Tree swallows swoop over the meadow and two rabbits step onto the lawn from the tall grass. The first bow 
bends across a plane of air. Then the second appears, then disappears. Now on this side, now on that. A magician's trick of red to violet, violet to red. Now you see it, now you don't. The deeper blue between the two is a trap door holding in the light, which enters but can't return, Alexander's dark band. He explained it first in the year 200. Imagine taking time to stop and ponder rain. Some accident of light, the optics of possibility and limit. Something breaks each of us open eventually, try as we might. It's not easy to reveal our own surprising set of parts. The way a page in a book cracks open the world's colors or the first time I met your face shining like an old friend stepping off a train igniting a thundercloud in my chest a double rainbow is gift enough soon the rain and clouds move away to the east Centuries later, Felix Belay saw 19 bows in his light chamber. If our eyes were able, he said, we would find the sky filled with arcs, arcs crossing wider arcs, almost into infinity. A rose of rainbows, he called it. Perhaps when one body passes through another, it leaves a trail in the sky of memory, like the shadow of the mountain walking across the valley, the familiar space which tracks between us, the swallows on the birdhouse, the rabbits grazing in tandem, the rainbow is not located in the sky. It travels in waves to our eyes. That's the poem. If our eyes were able, we would find the sky. And that's about my steady, loving husband. You know, I, I think we're close to the end of our time, aren't we, Michael? Actually, no. I've said it no? so that we could go a little over. So we're fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay. Well, I I have a poem. Um, I have a poem from the book that I'd like to read, and maybe one or two new ones that I'm working yes. on, thinking ahead to my yes, next project. Do we have time for that? Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Take your time. Wonderful. No problem. Uh, the, this, the last poem I'm going to read from the book kind of goes back to the theme we talked about earlier, which is, you know, working through and moving on. Mm-hmm. And um, we're better off if we do it. 
And we're better off if we forgive and let go. So this is a poem that is an expression of forgiveness. And it can be read different ways, I think. It can be read as an, um, a blessing on the self. It can be read as a blessing on a past love, uh, someone who's hurt you um, and who you need to forgive. So the poem is called A Blessing. And the only thing I think you might help you get more out of it is to know that um, a flower is featured in this poem, a moon flower. A moon flower is an actual flower, kind of like a morning glory. It's in that family. Morning glories are interesting because they open in the morning and they only stay open for a few hours and then they close. And that's where they get their name. But a moon flower opens in the evening and stays open until the sun's heat closes it in the morning. So, And they open very dramatically. Sometimes you can actually watch them open uh, very slowly. And they, um, you know, have a intense, bright, white, round shape. And they're fully, fully extended. So that might help sort of picture what's happening in the poem. Okay, here we go. A blessing. You sit on your front porch some evening alone or holding the hand of someone you love or not holding it, nor your breath, nor your stiff neck of work. Your mind slowly opens with the drifting down of dusk. Little twitches of the calendar pass through your arms and legs. Let them. They can't dance you back into dailiness. Even the flashes of pain once inflicted you brush off as you do the mosquitoes. These steel small portions of your blood don't give them more. And while you wander over yourself and settle into the shadows, the moonflower on the vine twining up the porch rail slowly opens. So slowly you don't turn your head. You do not drag the heavy tail of him behind you anymore. You have lifted him in your arms and turned him over and known his human shape once again. When you set him down, he walked away. Turn now. Feel some presence at your back. See the full circle of the blossom. And though momentary, how it glows, how its purity washes over you, its scent, a sacred open space. And that's the poem, A Blessing. Well, before you continue, I want to ask, this is a question for the people in the back, those that feel voiceless. And the question is about your book, May Apple Forest. 
What does your book reveal about being human? Golly, I... I really hope the book is about very fundamental human experiences of okay. of love of loss of the grieving process of of trying again of getting up and facing another day forgiving and moving on and accepting you know the uh, accepting that dichotomy that is always with us of pain and joy love yes. and loss i think that the book just wants to be about those really basic human emotional experiences and and if I had to say one more dimension that I really hope comes across, it would be that the natural world is a great teacher and a great healer. It loves us if we let it, and we need to love it back, and we need to respect it and give it time and space in our lives. So I think... I think that's as succinct as I can be about that. Beautifully stated. Beautifully stated. Thank you. And the people in the back, they heard you. Oh. Well, go take a walk, people in the back. Go take a walk. Mm -hmm. We were joking around before the, the, the show started, Michael, that you don't take a train to the Mayapple Forest. You put on your boots. You put mm-hmm. on your walking shoes, and mm-hmm. you go walking. You go walking. And you, like and you listen, you know, and mm-hmm. you look around. Mm-hmm. So, there are so many gifts in the natural world to help us. It doesn't matter where you live. It could just be to listen to the bird that is roosting on the windowsill of your apartment building. You know, the natural world has a lot to teach us and to give us, I think. But yeah. Kim, it takes a conscious effort to do that, to pay oh, attention so. to the things around us. Got to practice. Yeah, and, and like, and be and open to the gifts of them, right? You yes. know, to take time yes. and to like be open to the gifts of that. We we are bombarded with stuff constantly in this world, and um, yeah, yeah, we really are. I mean, just think mm-hmm. of this in these last two weeks the amount of grief we've witnessed in yes here in in my state of virginia there's been two two mass shootings wow and uh one in one out um among some young men um mm-hmm. who knows what the motivation was in uh, right. uh near the university of virginia in charlottesville and and one at a walmart on the eastern shore of virginia and it's just Day in and day out, this violence, you know, it's enough. And and, and every other, you know, every other ill uh, of the the modern world. But, you know, I have, I think I mentioned earlier that I, 
I've been writing, in some of my newest work, I've been responding to, I guess you could just generally call them current events, um, and and trying to use poetry as a way to wrestle with them. And mm-hmm. um, and I guess make a statement about them. Um, although I don't always know what that that's going to be, you know, because I I start writing, and as I said, I try to sort of be open to the discovery. Where is the poem going to go? You know, what am yes. I going to learn? What am I going to learn by writing the poem? So, if it's all right with you, I'd like to share a couple of. Well, you know, let let me share this one. Mm-hmm. This is not in the book. This is a newer piece. The title is I Can't Write a Poem with a Gun. Oh, oh. powerful title. I Can't Write a Poem with a Gun. I can't pick berries with a gun can't protect my fingers from thorns or carry the fruit back or stir in sugar and spice. I can't mix pastry with a gun or roll it out or bake it or lift its sweetness to your tongue. I can't plant seeds with a gun, can't measure the furrow or lay each one in its inch of ground. I can't hoe any rose with a gun or lug the weeds to the compost heap or turn the steaming piles or sift the new soil or spread it around the tender shoots. I can't chop fresh greens with a gun, can't slice onions or grate garlic or soak dried beans, or stir the pot. I can't set the table with a gun, or arrange flowers, or light a candle, or blow out the smoking match, or pull out your chair. A gun won't help me to listen to your story, to see the falling images as words ricochet around us. A gun won't open my heart to your pain or help me to extinguish it or place my hand on your quaking shoulder or wash away any blood. I can't make a soft bed with a gun or tuck a gun around me for warmth or wrap arms around my beloved, or kiss a cheek, or stroke the cat, or stretch when I wake, or smell the morning. I can't brew coffee with a gun, or tie the stiff laces of my muddy boots. When a fox steps lightly into the yard and shakes off the dew from the meadow, and cocks her head, nose quivering. A gun will not help me to study her, how she seems to consider so intently which way to turn, how 
so much might depend upon her choice. Where to next in this fraught, this tantalizing world? That poem is called, I Can't Write a Poem with a Gun. Wow. That one truly packs a a punch. Kim, let me ask you this. Do you think poets have an obligation to write about issues that have direct effect on our world, or can poems just be about birds or trees? Well, you know, sometimes that kind of a question frustrates me because for me the birds and the trees are as much a part of the world as you and I and they're Mm -hmm. suffering terribly by many of our decisions and many of them as a species have been around longer than humans and so I don't really feel like there is a like, I don't really feel like those are separate topics for me. Okay. For me personally, they're all interrelated. And that, okay. you know, well, I can this. learn, I, I can learn about, I mean, the fox, you know, uh, it, to me, it's all interconnected, Michael. All right. Here we go. Or can poems just be about rocks? <laughs> well, I write about rocks too. Um, you know, I, I think poems are, you know, the best poems. That's so funny. It's so funny, but it's true. Um, crazily enough. Um, you know, I think the best poems are about many things all at once. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, and so in that poem, it's clear that the speaker of that poem, and, you know, let's pretend it's not me, and let's just step back and look at it. The speaker of the last poem, the speaker of the poem talking about looking at rainbows and trying to understand the science of that and, like, get your head around the marvel of that, right? You know, these are these are speakers who are looking out at the world and trying to make some sort of sense out of it, and it's clear that they sift a lot of things through their love of the natural world. It's just clear that that's how it works. And it also, in the case of the second poem, you know, their love of cooking and gardening and, you know, being in nature and being outdoors. And so, yes, the poem is about... Um, is a protest against how we've allowed guns to proliferate in our culture and the cost that yes. that has has taken on us. But the poem is also offering alternatives throughout the whole poem. You know, mm-hmm. um, well, ways to you. ways to be in the world that have nothing to do with that. And and so you know, I don't know. I think poems can be about many things. I think that the lessons of poems can apply at many levels to many things. And I hope that, you know, my poetry is elastic that way, you know, and layered that way. That's my goal. Well, um, so I even if it's a, you. you know. Well, I want to thank you for being honest in your, with your opinion about that question that I asked, how it's potentially a frustrating question. 
Because I didn't really think, as I say again, it's going to take practice to focus on the interconnectedness of the birds and the trees and these other things in the world. Yeah. And I decided that I will not ask that question again. Oh, no. I think it's kind of interesting to to explore it from all sides because, you know, I would argue that if you're in a culture that thinks it's great for there to be like mm-hmm. 7 million handguns everywhere, there's probably some insights there about it's okay to, like, throw your trash in the river. It's yeah. okay to you know, pollute the air. Because these are all destructive behaviors, right? They're all ways of being in the world that don't take into account the value of other beings and their integrity and their um, their autonomy, really, from you. You know, you're just like, it's okay for me to just slash and burn my way through the world because I'm an all-powerful human. And I think if that is your philosophy, then... It's going to show up at many levels in your life and in your choices. So, um, yeah, I think it's well, going to show. You know, yeah. So it's it's a deep subject. <laughs> we only have about ten minutes to go. We've got time for one more poem. One more. Well, maybe Take it would home. be fun. Maybe it would be fun to just come back to love, huh, Michael? All right. I like that. How about if we just come back to love? Last Mm -hmm. winter I wrote this poem um, in response to a five-word challenge in another group that I belong to, Lime Square Poets, which is an Irish poetry writing community. It's really fantastic. And I I just want to say before we close that, you know, poetic community has been hugely important to me over the last few years, and I wouldn't have written this book without it. Um, the inspiration, the joy, the sharing, the the energy that it that it gives me um, to be in community with other writers, to hear what they're doing, to hear what they care about, to learn from them, to be inspired by them. It's just a tremendous gift. And so this poem, you know, is kind of lighthearted in a way. It's also serious in a way because it is about that idea that as you as you get older, as you've been married for a long time, you 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 know, love evolves and changes. It's not that romantic wild fling of the first months that you dated and courted and sparked, you know. It becomes something else. And it grows and evolves over time. And so this is a poem called A Winter Fairy Tale. And um, and it's a love poem to my husband, Doug. Very nice. A Winter Fairy Tale. Hoarfrost blooms at my temples, hooks around my ears, a cold wind's knocking, My body's forgetting the steamy hydraulics of those nights, the lick of eyeliner, the shimmy and the sweat, the torrent from the amps, the sassy flip of curls on my shoulders, how a hungry mouth surfaced near mine, how I could slide 
into a drowning kiss. This December night, I'm warming myself at the fire you've built. I'm watching embers glow like remembered sighs. Husband of mine, let's turn a slow shuffle about the flickering room. Let's mingle our old pajamas and worn-out scuffs. Let's stoke the laughter at ourselves, but tenderly. Let my fingers linger for a while in the silky sparks of your silver-threaded hair. That's a winter fairy tale for my husband, Doug. Beautiful. Kim, my last official question. Yes, sir. How would you classify your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or a creative art? Gosh, um... I I think it's a practice, you know. I think it's a okay. I think it's a discipline. I think that if you don't have an affinity for language and the music of language and playing around with words and sitting quietly by yourself and you know, staring at the page until blood forms on your forehead. If you don't, if those things aren't like happy activities for you, then you're probably not going to do it. So there has to be like an instinct for it or if you want to call that a gift, okay, or like that's your skill set or that's your jam, you know. Um, But beyond that, I think you have to, uh, you have to practice. You have to you have to do it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And I I would say not only do you have to practice doing it by, and doing it I mean writing it, but I think you need to practice listening, reading Mm -hmm. it, thinking about it, thinking about how someone created something, you know, when you admire their poem or you're moved by their poem, taking time to go back and saying, now how did they do that? How did they take me there? You know? And um, so, yeah, I would say maybe, you know, we we all have things that, you know, we're kind of, we we use that phrase, we're in our element when we're doing it. Mm -hmm. It like suits us, you know? And maybe that's where the gift part comes in. But I think it's a practice. Uh-oh. Where can listeners find your work? Well, I hope that they have enjoyed hearing some of these little pieces from the book. Uh, the Mayapple Forest is published by Terrapin Books, and you can visit their website at www.terrapinbooks.com. And... It's available through major vendors um, like, you know, Barnes & Noble or your um, the, the, the great big vendor, Amazon, which some people are not fond of but find it convenient. Uh, it is available through distributors, so if you like to go to small bookstores in your neighborhood or in your town, you can go and ask for it, and they can order it. It's available that way. And... Um, 
and I I hope that uh, I hope that some folks feel inspired to read the poems. How can listeners stay in touch? My website um, is up and running, has been for some time. Um, you can visit me. It's simply www.kimportsparsons.com. And um, I help uh, every week. Well, it's three Sundays a month in Cultivating Voices Live Poetry. Uh, our programs are um, available through our Facebook group and um they're recorded and shared on our YouTube channel. And I love to be in community with all the many, many poets featured, open mic, and special guests who have have and continue to participate and will participate on Cultivating Voices three Sundays a month. First Sunday of the month is a themed open mic, and we announce those themes in advance, and people bring their work to share and um, sign up to read. And the second Sunday of the month is a new book showcase where we feature new books that are coming out. And the third Sunday of the month is what we call our wild card open mic where people can sign up to read anything that's on their mind that they'd like to share at that time. Well, here's my last one. What's next for you creatively? And let me say you know, I just am, I'm going to keep writing. I, I I shared a little bit about you know poems um, like like the one I read, um, yes. where I'm I'm working through things that are happening, I guess, in current events in our world, and and trying to make sense of them in poems. And I'm also working through a series of poems that kind of investigate. Uh, the history of my own ancestors um, uh, in in the U.S. and and yes. you know it's a complicated it's complicated and there's there's many facets to it and and that is rich material so you know it it takes whatever time it takes but I'm writing mm-hmm. I'm writing I'm writing I'm listening I'm sharing mm-hmm. being in community is the most important part to me Michael. Yes. Well, I want to thank you, Kim, for a wonderful hour of poetry. Your work is fascinating. It's sublime. Hopefully there's an audio book somewhere in the future. You've got the voice <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> you really, really I want do. to thank you. You're just uh, the most wonderful, warm, and, and generous host, and, and you you make it. You know, I I feel so at ease. You're just so kind and supportive, Michael. Really, thank you. Oh, yes. Well, everyone, (laughs) May Apple Forest, everybody. May Apple Forest. Start that line of a thousand people in front of a Barnes and Noble. <laughs> Start that line. <laughs> yeah, take a little, already got take a little walk in, in and <laughs> take a little walk in and see what you find, right? Right. Take a little right. walk in the woods and see what you find. Well, thank you, Kim, again, and to the listening audience, as I share with you every week, that poetry rings somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everybody. Good night, Kim. Good night. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at 
qlpor.com.